Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, a friend of mine, Representative Lee Perry, joins me on the line, spent a, a career not only as a legislator but in law enforcement. Uh, he's retiring from both, and uh, I am honored to have him on the line now. Sir, how are you? Good. How are you doing today, Lee? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, have you had a chance to look through some of these proposals uh, handed down by the district attorney? I have. What jumps out at you immediately? Well, there are issues. I mean, like right, right off the bat, the whole, you know, holding an officer similar to the same standard, that very first one, the same standard as a non-officer, um, sounds great. I mean, off the top, you're all, oh, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. The, the problem is, is non-officers are not called to go to domestic violence calls. Non-officers are not asked to make traffic stops. Non-officers are not asked to go to burglary or robbery calls or not asked to go to rape calls. And so we suddenly say, oh, wait a minute, we're asking these officers to do special, exceptional things on top of the fact we're asking them to wear a uniform, to do extra things, and then we turn around and say, but we want to treat you the same as everybody else. Yeah. And, and that's where I start to go, there's things we need to think about. And as policymakers... Certainly, there's there could be some changes in the law, and there probably will be some changes this next session. But it's incumbent upon us as policymakers to have the back of our law enforcement folks that we're asking to enforce and, and go out and take care of the laws out there. Because just recently, I mean, I just got some statistics yesterday. We had 54 police officers shot from the time George Floyd's incident happened to today. 54 police officers have been shot in the line of duty. That doesn't happen in other people's professions. Yeah. If you look at these suggestions from Sim Gill's office, on the whole, do you think they make the experience of law enforcement officers more or less dangerous? D depends. I mean, if you take all of these things and put them all in place, it's going to make, it, number one, it's going to make officers, it's going to make being an officer probably more dangerous in some cases. And in a lot of cases, I think if you went through and did all of these things, you would be nearly impossible to find anybody willing to be a law enforcement officer unless you're going to pay them NBA wages. You would have to pay them like a movie star, an NBA star, a brain surgeon in order to fit all of these things in there because nobody's going to take these liabilities and all these things and say, yeah, I'll go out and protect the public and do all these things with the, the, the possibility that my whole family could be, my, my, my whole livelihood could be decimated, I could be thrown in prison or jail. All those factors can be thrown at me for going out and trying to protect and serve people, even if it's just by a simple mistake, if you follow all, 50, all 21 of his recommendations. That's what struck me. It struck me as just a, an incredibly complex uh, list of requirements uh, to, to, to simply do, uh, you know, in large part, the, the job uh, each day. The needle you'd have to thread to avoid uh, prosecution here is just too difficult. Now, can, can we yeah. jump to, to number nine real quick? 
Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, well, I mean, I could throw back at the, the, the county attorney. Like I said, I'm not disrespecting it. I believe everybody has a right to give ideas and input. But, you know, we could propose some ideas that say, hey, if a county attorney prosecutes somebody who shouldn't have been prosecuted and screws up, do we take away their, do we take them in front of the bar and remove their ability to ever be a lawyer again? Are, are the prosecuting attorneys willing to take those responsibilities on themselves? Are they willing to say, hey, if we don't give all the information or evidence or we do something wrong in court, we're proven, can we be removed from the job and never be able to do this again? Can we be liable for our actions? Uh-huh. Frequently, I throw that out of the attorneys and they go, oh, no, no, attorneys, it's a different world. We, we have different rules. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you have different rules. That's you wear a different uniform, too. To, that's usually no what happens when I throw it back and forth with attorneys, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is in point nine, the, it reads codify imperfect self-defense for an officer's use of deadly force. Will you explain what is imperfect self-defense? Well, what I'm looking at in this case, um, it's basically a situation where this is, and it's happened here in Utah. It's happened in the country. You walk up on somebody and you think that they're a suspect in a, in a robbery, for instance. So I, I pulled a car over that I think somebody's robbed a bank, and the car matches, the individual matches, you know, matches to a certain level. Yeah. And I walk up, and they pull their cell phone out real fast, and I shoot and I kill them, or I shoot and I injure them. And then we get to the bottom of it, we realize, oh, no, this was the, the description by the vi- victim was a little wrong. This wasn't the car, and I got the wrong person completely. This person was an innocent person that shouldn't even have had interaction with the police. Are we going to say, oh, well, we're going to hold that policeman accountable because... He made a decision based on some information that was given to him, and this situation occurred because of it. And in some cases, it may even impact the case of St. Louis with uh, Aubrey Lewis mm-hmm. to, to a certain extent. I don't know all the details in that case, but, you know, where the officers went into the apartment and ended up shooting somebody who was an innocent victim in this situation when the boyfriend is firing back at them, you know, there could be an argument to that imperfect self-defense in that situation. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, the the last question I want to ask you about it has to do with uh, point fifteen. He he'd like to codify again. He the Sim, Sim Gill, the Salt Lake County District Attorney, in this list of twenty two uh, amendments, he'd like to see applied to Utah law as uh, as it uh, governs. You know, the behavior and the abilities of law enforcement to do its duty. Point 15 here reads, codify the duty to intervene when a law enforcement officer fails to intervene or report when faced with another officer's use of excessive force. Is this a necessary amendment? Well, it's, it's certainly something to be thinking about, and I know it's in a lot of policies, and, we, and maybe, maybe it's something we codify at some point, I don't know. We certainly want officers to feel comfortable to be able to step forward and say, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, stop. In mm-hmm. fact, a good case in the Chauvin case, if you, if you do some studying on that case, we had one officer that was there, had been on the case, been on the department or on duty three days. The one officer that was next to Chauvin would been on the, on duty three days. Chauvin was supposed to be training him, which is just terrible to think that could happen. Mm-hmm. And the officer, from what I understand, said to Chauvin, hey, don't you think we ought to get off of him? And Chauvin responded back with some derogatory term and basically said mm-hmm. no. And so now I'm saying, okay, that's the question I, I come in here is when you have an officer and say, okay, this is a brand new officer and we can train and train, but there's a certain question of authority and decision making and where do we, where do we throw them out there and say, hey, okay, you need to say this is not acceptable, but we need to give protections. I feel like if an officer steps forward and says this was wrong, 
that officer, and then maybe there's a way to twi- twist this a little bit in Utah and say, if an officer steps forward and accuses somebody of excessive force or issue like this, that that officer can be protected under whistleblower protections and things like that. Sure. So that we're not having a young three-day officer feel like, my job's going to get toasted because I'm, I'm on probation and all this guy has to just walk in and say, I didn't follow a direct order from him, even though I could prove it was wrong. The officer's yeah. going to worry about his livelihood, and I think there's a way to fix that. Yeah, the realities of a power imbalance like that must be considered, absolutely. Uh, listen, Lee Perry, I could sit and chat with you all day long. I am pleased and grateful to you for joining us on the air today. Uh, also, f- look for a chance to, to chat again soon. You enjoy the day, all right? Absolutely. Take care.